Hey guys, uh, welcome to RUF. It's really good to see you. My name is Chris, campus minister here. Uh, in the back tonight, uh, our friends Casey and Aaron are here. See this friendly, waving people? And uh, they work for Camp Cedar Cliff, and they would love to talk to you if you are looking for some way to serve this summer at a camp. They would love to. Where is Camp Cedar Cliff? Asheville. It's in Asheville, where every other camp is, right? Um, so there's a lot of differing loyalties in the room with camps, okay? So just be careful. Uh, there's a lot of Merrimack folk, so just be very careful. Um, anyway, but if you want to talk to them afterward about working at uh, Cedar Cliff this summer, they will be outside at the table right afterwards. So think about that and then see them. We're really happy to have Casey and Aaron with us tonight. Uh, welcome to you. Um, if, this is a, if this is your first time or one of your first times, and a special welcome to you. Um, we would love to get to know you. If you just want to kind of come in here and investigate this stuff and leave, that's, that's okay. Um, if you, uh, but we would really love for you to get involved and get to know us. I would love to get to know you, talk to someone here, meet someone. We really want to be a, a community of, of Christians that are processing the gospel together. So regardless of where you're coming from, your background, whatever, uh, you're welcome here. And this is a safe place, hopefully, for you. Uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians this semester. And we've been looking at how this good news of Jesus, this thing that Jesus has been doing in the universe, um, this bringing this wonderful salvation, how that's supposed to change our lives and even the most mundane parts of our lives. And what we've really been seeing is that's supposed to draw us to the church. And we're supposed to be engaged with the church and living and moving and having our being in the church. Um, But tonight we're looking at marriage. Paul kind of goes and says, okay... This is your life in the church, and then he applies the gospel to our relationship. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. If you want to go ahead and turn there, it's also going to be on the screen. Um, I was listening to a podcast of Radiolab. Any Radiolab fans? All right, good. And uh, they were talking about a British television game show called Golden Balls. Very uh, inappropriately named show. And, um, or unfortunately named show. And uh, the Golden Balls is the ultimate test of faith, uh, faith, trust, and greed. And basically the premise of, of Golden Balls is all these, these contestants and they're working to make money and they build up this pot of money until at the end there's only two contestants left, right? These two finalists. And uh, they sit down at a table across from one another and they have two, as you guessed it, Golden Balls that they have there. And um, they have the pot of money in the two finals, and this is how it works. So, so let's say that there's 20,000 pounds. That's, that's the pot at the end. Uh, they have a choice. Inside the one ball, it says split, and inside the other ball, it says steal, right? And each of them has it. And uh, they have some time to talk it out together. If both, of the, if both of the contestants choose split, okay, they both choose the split ball, they split the money. All right, so in that case, they would both win 10,000 Pounds. By the way, pounds is like dollars in England, for those of you that are familiar. Um, so if they both choose split, they split the money. If they both choose steal, they leave with what they came in with, which is nothing, right? Because they deserve nothing because they're both greedy, right? Uh, so if you choose split, you split it. If you steal, no one wins. But if one church person chooses split and the other person chooses steal, the person that chose steal wins all the money. And the person that chooses split wins nothing. 
Okay, you can see why this is such a great show, right? And so uh, there, this one episode, I, I watched a vid- I went on and watched the video. It's the, the the two finals, and it's a kind of this like twenty early twenties blonde haired kind of cutesy girl, and she had been crying. Right, it's very stressful for her. And the other finalist was this kind of like a more of a heavy set, like early forties guy. He was balding, has this bad mustache, and he's kind of like wiping the front of his pants a lot. and looks really sketchy, and. Um, <laughs> So they, they presented them the money, and then they say, you have your choice. Now you have some talking to do. And the guy immediately goes, look, uh, you know, if I don't split this money with you... Oh, by the way, it's 100,000 pounds. Okay? That's, that's the pot. He's like, look, I'm going to split the money with you. If I don't split the money with you, everyone in here will kill me, and it'll be really, really bad. I just want you to know I'm going to split. And she's, she's very upset, you know, and she's really stressed out by it. And um, she's like, I'm going to split. And he reaches across, and he, he holds her hand. He's like, look... We're both going to leave here with 50,000 pounds, okay? This is going to be great. Just trust me. And, um, okay, so, so they have to, to, to choose their, the, the balls, right? So they both choose up their balls. He plays split. And she plays steel. And uh, it's amazing. And uh, he immediately just collapses onto the table, like, with his head and his arms. And she can't even, like, look at him. She's looking away. It's, I mean, it's so incredibly awkward. Like, they finish the show, and he never looks up from the table. Like, he literally just has his head in his arms the whole time, and they're like, that's all from Golden Balls. Have a good night. Um, and it's, it's a variation on, on something called the prisoner's dilemma, but people that have studied Golden Balls, this is almost always how the show ends, right? One or both of the people, they always say we're going to split, right? I mean, this is the conversation every single time. I'm going to split, trust me, I'm going to split. And then one or both of the people chooses steel almost every single time. And, but the reason why people usually choose steel isn't because they can win more money. The reason why most people choose steel is because they don't want to be a sucker, right? Their biggest fear is being that guy that is just slumped over the table and has been taken advantage of. And that's why almost everybody chooses steel. Uh, we're going to look at marriage tonight, this biblical view of marriage. And I asked a lot of y'all this week what your biggest fear about marriage is. And I got some good answers like, um, I'm going to marry the person and they're not going to be who I thought they were. Or I'm, I'm, they're going to fall out of love with me. I'm going to fall out of love with them. They'll meet someone else. Um, we'll be compa- incompatible, right? Uh, we'll, we will be in conflict all the time, afraid that they'll change, that they'll leave the faith. And those are true and good concerns. But almost all of those fears boil down to one fear. And that's, I will marry the wrong person, right? I'll get into this thing. I'll slip the ring on the finger. And then I'm going to find out that this was the wrong person. And it, really, I'm going to play, I know I'm going to play split. I'm afraid that they're going to play steel. And it, I, I'm going to lose out. I'm going to get suckered. Um, and you put all the pressure on that other person not working out. But what the Bible is going to show us tonight is that the view of marriage in here means that you always lose. It means that you're always second. Um, in the book of Galatians, Paul says this, the entire law of God is fulfilled in keeping one commandment. Does anyone know what it is? Love your neighbor as yourself. 
If you get married, your marriage is the greatest opportunity that you will have to love another person more than yourself and to care about another person more than yourself and to, in a real sense, put yourself below them and be second. Um, so let's, let's, uh, let's read this text together and uh, we'll, we'll see, what, we'll see what, we, what we mean by that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. This is the word of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay, that's out there. Uh, So yes, that really is in the Bible. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should, should, should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are all members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is God's word. Let's ask God's blessing on it. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we do thank you uh, for this wonderful um, mystery that you have provided to us in marriage. And Lord, regardless of whether uh, we're single or married or never intending to be married, Lord, we know that we will uh, come into a lot of contact with marriages. And so, Lord, would you teach us um, your desire for us in marriage that we might see you in it? And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I'm going to try. I'm going to just try a quote on you just to start. Start here. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while. And he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is, means that we are not the same person after we entered it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Everyone in here that gets married, it is inevitable that you will marry a stranger, no matter how well you think you know them now, and everybody in this room that gets married will marry the wrong person. Okay? Just take a deep breath. Okay? If you get married, it's going to be to the wrong person. They're not going to be the person you thought they were. They're not going to be the person you hoped they were. They will change over time. Okay? So hopefully I just obliterated most of your fears from the start. (laughs) The only way to avoid being crushed by that 
and just being like, you know what, forget it, I'm out, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Is to start to have a view of marriage that the Bible presents to us here and to begin to see marriage differently than we did before. I want you, and the scripture wants you, to begin now. Most of you want to be married, okay? To begin now to see your future marriage as an opportunity to be second place. As an op- I know everyone in here is going to say, well, I want to love someone sacrificially. I want to put someone else first. I know you're saying you want that. This is the opportunity, the best and most poignant opportunity that you are going to have to put someone else before you. Jesus says this in Mark 9. If anyone would be first, he must be last and servant of all. And now, the good news is you're not married, most of you, yet. You have the opportunity now to begin to see your marriage as a way to serve. Okay? So if we're going to serve in our marriage, we're gonna, in a minute we're going to look at what Paul says here about, about the wife, about the husband, right? We're going to get there. But those are just illustrations of the way that Jesus serves. So let's look at how Jesus serves. Um, a marriage is a microcosm of Jesus' relationship to the church. That's what Paul says here. He says this is a great mystery. He's talking about marriage. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Uh, a husband and a wife, according to the Bible, in a marriage, are merely reenacting what Jesus has done for his people. Uh, listen to how Paul describes Jesus in Philippians 2. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is God. Okay, He's the Son of God, but he is also God the Son. I get into these complicated... Uh, Discussions with my three-year-old daughter, um, had one yesterday, looked out the window, look, Georgia, it's snowing, you know, because, you know, it's late March, and it was negative six wind chill this morning. Um, and so I said, look, uh, we look out, and I say, Georgia, isn't it amazing? God made all those snowflakes. And she's like, no, Daddy, Jesus made all those snowflakes. And, uh, okay, fair. Fair enough. We're working on our Trinitarian, you know, theology at home. And that's why, if you're not a pastor's kid, be happy that you're not. Um, uh, but she's right. Jesus is God. Jesus is the one through whom the entire universe was created. Jesus is perfectly equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, okay, dwelling in this perfect equality. Yet Jesus willingly lowered himself. Jesus submitted himself to the Father, okay? He put his will literally underneath the will of the Father. I know that sounds a little bit weird, but Jesus as a person is absolutely equal in power, in glory, in beauty, in everything in him with God the Father. Yet he put himself below him and assumed a role of service. If you read the Gospels, you'll hear Jesus say things like this. I came not to do my will, but the will of my Father who's in heaven. I can't do anything without the Father. That's God himself talking, saying I'm dependent on someone else and I'm all about someone else's will. Jesus acknowledged again and again that he put himself below the Father, 
Uh, Tim Keller, who's, you know, we quote a lot in RUF, he's a, he's a minister. His wife, you know, behind every man is a better woman, right? And that's true um, for me and for Tim Keller. Uh, but his wife, Kathy Keller, says, puts it like this. Jesus defers to the Father and takes a subordinate role. The Father accepts the gift, but then exalts the Son to the highest place. Each wishes to please the other. Each wishes to exalt the other. Love and honor are given, accepted, and given again. Jesus serves the Father. And to prove that he came, became a man, and took on the form of a servant and served other people. And Jesus is showing us something very important here, and that's this. You can submit in love to someone that is equal to you without losing any of your beauty and glory and honor. That's what Jesus is showing us. He set aside nothing, but willingly submitted himself and made himself second. The very nature of God, the Son, is to live for someone else's glory, to pursue someone else's agenda in a sense. And by pursuing the Father's glory, Jesus received the highest glory. Okay, so the first thing Jesus is teaching us is, look, you can submit to an equal. God has done it. Okay? So when we read through that, I was like, yeah, that's in the Bible. Okay? Just put that, okay, we're going to lay a foundation here in Jesus. You can submit. Jesus submits to the Father, but Jesus also serves the church. Uh, it's, it says here, okay, look in verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. Uh, Then in verse 25, you know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Jesus, in this sense, the kind of role is reversed. He's not the subordinate one. He's the leader. Jesus is the first in the church, right? Jesus is the head of the church. He is the alpha of the church. No one is higher than Christ in the church. Yet, even in the church, he lowers himself, right? He sacrifices. He gave himself for the church. Because the church in the scripture is called Jesus' wife. The church is Jesus' bride. And what he does is he lowers himself for her. He serves her. Okay, the church is every Christian that lives now, has ever lived and ever will live. Jesus serves his bride. He says, it says he nourishes her. And cher- like, no one, verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Jesus, Jesus finds his delight in the church. Have you ever thought about that? Like what makes God really happy? What makes God feel excited and delighted? His church, his bride, his wife. Uh, The prophet Zephaniah says this. If you haven't heard this verse, write it down in your little journal. The Lord your God is in your midst. A warrior who gives victory. Okay, the Lord is a warrior. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The Bible is showing us that Jesus is like a groom. It says he's the bridegroom, okay? Jesus is a groom, and he's standing in the front of the church. You'll figure it out. Uh, He's standing in the front of the church, and he's looking down expectantly down the aisle. And when the door opens and he sees his bride in her wedding gown, 
he is so excited that as she comes down to him, he starts singing a song. Okay, it's like that part in Love Actually, you know, they get married. Every girl in here just started listening to me again. Um, you know, they start singing, Love is All You Need. It's like the bride comes down and Jesus starts singing because he's so happy. He just can't keep it in. He has to sing and tell his bride how much he loves her. And at his wedding, Jesus takes a personal, uh, makes it his personal mission that this woman is beautiful, this bride is beautiful, but I'm going to submit myself, commit myself every day to making her more and more beautiful than she is right now. That's Jesus' mission. He wants to make his bride more beautiful than she was on her wedding day, regardless of what he has to pay to make that happen. So Jesus shows us how to be led, right? How to submit. And Jesus shows us how to lead. And in both cases, he puts the other person first. Okay? That's what I want you to catch. Okay, before we look at what wives and husbands do, Jesus, by being led, puts himself second, and by leading, puts himself second. And look, there's a lot of great books out there. Okay, Kathy and Tim Keller's book is really good. There's a lot of good marriage advice um, out there. But if you're going to do what the Bible says is marriage, this love of Jesus has to be the foundation of what you're doing. Until you start to realize that Jesus put you above himself, you will never, ever, ever begin to be able to put someone else above you. Um, Until that begins to break into your heart and soften it, that Jesus loves me and puts me first, you'll never change. My my wife um, has a hard time of it, obviously. Um, And uh, she told me the other day, she said, look, when I'm looking at you, I, I, she knows me, okay? She knows bad stuff, right? And she says, when, when I'm looking at you, I, it's hard for me to, like, willingly put myself below you. But when I'm looking at Jesus, and I'm worshiping him and adoring him, I can't imagine not putting you before me. If we're looking one-to-one at the spouse, y'all, it's, it's just going to be a mess. But if you look to Jesus and you begin to be captivated by what he's done... Uh, suddenly we have the tools that we need to submit to one another. Because loving another person the way that this says is really unnatural. Some of you guys, like you came from a family where like they really taught you like how to balance your checkbook and like how to work hard. And they just assumed that you would just get the love part, right? Because that just comes naturally. That's not true. That is a huge lie. Loving another person more than yourself is extremely unnatural. The theme song for every marriage should be, please, please, please let me get what I want by the Smiths, okay, which is a great Smith song. Um, every single day in a marriage, both the husband and the wife are saying, please just let me have what I want. Uh, that is our natural state. Marriage is a radical other-centeredness, and it's not natural. It only comes from Jesus. Okay, so... I wanted to spend that time just laying the foundation. Jesus shows us how to be a husband and how to be a wife, okay? Look at how, what Paul says about the wife here. Verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ 
is the head of the church. Paul is saying wives should submit to their husbands. Here's what that does not mean. That does not mean women submit to men. If you have read that and someone has told you that that's what this means, they're wrong. The Bible does in no way says that women should just submit to men as if there's this ruling class of men and this following class of women. It's not true. He's talking about a marriage. Children submit to their parents until they're adults. Okay? Um, we're all called to submit to Christ and his church. Verse 21 says that we should submit to one another. Okay? Those are all universal truths. Um, but wives submitting to their husbands is not a universal norm for gender. Okay? Women have every right to make as much or more money than men. A woman can be your boss. Okay? And should be. All right? You probably would run the business a lot better. Um, Paul's words here are for married couples only, right? One wife... Okay, also that means if you're a wife, you're not called to submit to someone else's husband. Please don't do that. Okay? That's just weird. Um, Okay, but also submitting to your husband doesn't mean that you just like, oh, this is this great passive relationship. You know, I know there are some girls in here that are like, this sounds great, because I hate making decisions, right? And suddenly I won't have to do that anymore, Um, you know? Paul's not endorsing a marital dictatorship where the guy is the one that establishes everything and the woman just kind of goes along with whatever he wants to do. Paul is not calling us, calling uh, wives to that. What Paul is saying when he says, wives, submit to your husbands, um, is that a woman who is completely equal to her husband in every way should willingly, by choice, step down and allow herself to be led by another person. Okay? The woman allows this to happen. It is a gift that she's giving to her husband, to Christ, and to their marriage. Okay? Um, She allows herself to crown her husband with respect. Um, I don't don't want to make, like, these sweeping generalizations about genders here. Okay, so I'm not doing that. I know this isn't everybody. Um, But the majority of guys have a deep longing in our hearts for the person we love to come along and affirm us that what we're doing has value in the world. Okay, this is a really silly example. I love Auburn football. Love Auburn football. Yeah, War Eagle. And uh, thank you. And um, my wife has, has learned that that is the case. And uh, we've, we've, we've had our ups and downs about which, who do you love more? Cam Newton or me? And it's very, very close. Um, but needless to say that she's not as enthusiastic about Auburn football as I am. Okay, she's just, she's just not into it. But in January, Auburn played the national championship game. It was a big deal for me. Like, I was like, I had no fingernails. It was very stressful for me. And my wife sat down on the couch and watched the entire game. Now, granted, she was looking at Pinterest the majority of the time. Um, but she was there. And she wore orange. She made snacks. She bought special chips. It was so sweet. Um, <laughs> And she high-fived me when they scored. And, like, it was the most heartbreaking. There was literally 13 seconds left in the game, and they lost. It was awful. And my wife said to me at the end, 
I don't think I ever thought that losing this game would, like, would hurt. Like, I'm sad that we lost. We lost. <laughs> that filled up my heart because what she was saying, and this was a tiny, seemingly insignificant thing, but she was saying, I'm behind you, and what you're loving right now, I, I can get behind that. I can support that. Like, you have worth. This is okay. All right? I am your biggest fan. I am right behind you. And in a thousand little ways, a wife crowns her husband with glory and respect um, by getting behind him and loving him. And that, that is what it means. Wives stand behind their man just like Jesus stood behind the father and said, I'm about what you're about. That's what a wife does. Um, so in a real sense, the wife plays the Jesus role, right? The submitting role. Um, but what about husbands? Uh, I saw a picture on Facebook the other day, and it was for Stand Up to Cancer. And uh, I guess it was like a photo booth, and so they all had signs that say, I stand up for, and then you feel what it is, right? And so it was like a husband and a wife and two kids. And uh, the kids, both their signs said, for my daddy, and, uh, which was cool. And the wife sign said, for my husband. But the husband sign said, for myself. And I was like, ah, I, I, it's like, you're moving in the right direction, but I wish the sign had said, for my family, you know, like, as this reciprocal thing. Um, but what, what Paul's calling us to is not, the husband is, is in charge, right? Okay. Well, the husband is in charge, but anyway. Um, look at what Paul says to husbands. Before I get too off track here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. A woman named Karen Howe wrote this great article, because I think it was called Husbands Stop with the Heroics, and she talked about her pastor preaching on this passage, and he preached for an hour, which I'm not going to do. Um, and for 59 minutes, her pastor talked about how wives need to submit to their husbands. And then with one minute left, he said, and now we get to the part about husbands. Husbands, what are you called to do? Dramatic pause. You must be willing to die for your wife. And then he sat down. Um, and, and she was like, all these visions were running through my mind of my husband like being eaten by cannibals. And, you know, like jumping in front of a charging bull. You know? And, and she said... I understood what he was saying, but why, most wives, like, we don't want our husband to die for us. We want our husband to live for us. And that is exactly what Paul is calling husbands to do here. He's not saying, look, husbands, do your own thing. Just be ready to take a bullet for your wife when the time comes. Because Jesus didn't just die for his bride. Jesus lived for his bride. Everything that Jesus did was to secure his bride for himself. And everything that he does now on our behalf is to cleanse us and make us righteous. Jesus, like I said before, his personal mission is to make the church more and more beautiful and glorious every day. A husband is called to adorn his wife. Um, to nourish her with good things. To lead her, yes, but lead her into uh, more beauty and righteousness and glory. Um, 
and to cherish his wife more than anything else. I love my kids. Uh, they're great, and they're really cute and yell a lot. Um, but my wife is different. Okay? I chose her. Okay, I didn't choose my kids. I love them. But I chose her. She is different. Our relationship is different. Everything a husband is, is doing is supposed to be to bring about good for his wife. He's supposed to cherish her and adorn her, to dote on her, because that's what Jesus did. A man's wife is to be the object of his study. Um, guys, when you get married, if you, if you want your wife to really feel like you love her, study her. Like, make her the object um, that you want to learn about, that you love learning new things about. That's what Jesus did. And I probably barely need to mention this to women, like, th- th- that y'all want this, okay? Like, okay. Oh, I don't really want to be cherished and desired more than anything else. That's not really <laughs> Eugene Peterson says, The love of a husband is a love marked by giving, not getting. A husband is called to be his wife's chief servant. To direct everything he is doing toward bringing good and beauty to her, to lead her more and more into righteousness. Yes, no matter the cost to himself, because that's what Jesus did. Okay, so the husband fulfills the Jesus role, right? Right, because he's leading, you know, and submitting. Um, who's really playing the Jesus role? Well, Jesus, thank you. Um, look, at, look at what Paul says here, and in, in starting in verse 31. He quotes from Genesis chapter 2. And says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. A marriage is showing us a mystery. It's a wonderful mystery that God has given us to show us Jesus. And God has designed a marriage to be this. As, as, as one person, you are able to show forth Christ to the world, okay? And I already said this in a previous sermon. Your primary relationship in the world as a Christian is to the church, okay? And not necessarily to your spouse. But what happens in a marriage is this really mysterious thing happens where this one person is coming and they're saying, I'm going to show you Jesus by willingly submitting myself to you. And they're one part of the equation. And then the other party comes in and they say, I'm going to show Jesus to you by leading you and sacrificing for you. And the two fit together. And suddenly now, they're not just proclaiming Jesus to each other, but they're able, in a, in a way that they couldn't do alone, proclaim the love of Jesus out into the world um, and show the world a mystery in a way that words could never express. How a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, fit together to proclaim Jesus. True love is willingly sacrificing yourself for another person so that they can have a taste of God. Because God willingly submits himself and sacrifices himself for us. And when we come together and we do that together, we show that to the world. But y'all, if you want that, if something in your heart, that stirs something in your heart and you go, I want that, You cannot do that and get what you want. You have to be second. You have to take the form of a servant. Final golden ball story. Um, 
So the best ever Golden Balls episode was um, there was these two guys, Nick and Ibrahim, right? And they were the final contestants. And there was, uh, I think it was like 13,000 pounds. So they sit down, they have the two Golden Balls, and uh, they're, they're talking to each other, and they say, okay, well, now you should have something to talk about. And Nick looks at Ibrahim and he goes, this is for real, you should look it up on YouTube. He goes, Ibrahim, I want you to trust me. I'm 100% going to choose the steel ball. Okay? I'm not going to choose the split ball. I'm telling you 100% I'm going to steal. You should play split and I will split the money with you after the show. Okay? That was a strategy. And Ibrahim's like, uh, I'm, I'm not really sure. Ibrahim even goes, I have a good plan too. How about you play split and I play split? And we both split the money. And he's like, blah, blah, blah. it's not going to happen. I'm telling you, I'm going to choose steel. I'm going to take the money. If you play steel, we're not going to win any money. But if you play split, we're gonna, I will split the money. I promise you, I give you my word, I will split. They went on for literally 45 minutes. Okay? The show is edited. They edit this stuff out. Um, Ibrahim gets very angry. He calls Nick an idiot. Uh, he yells at him. He's really upset. Finally, like, the, the host goes, okay, well, you, have, you have to submit your balls now. You have to stop. And, uh, and Nick goes, one more time, he goes, I'm telling you, I'm going to play steel. And so Ibrahim goes, you know what? I'm probably going to lose the money either way. Fine. They submit the balls. Ibrahim plays split. And Nick played split. Right? And so they split the money. Right? And they talked to Ibrahim afterward and they said, what were you going to do? And he said, I was definitely going to steal. He said, I was 100% going to convince him that I was going to split and I was going to steal and I was going to take the money. And he said, at first I was really mad because he swindled me. But then I realized he swindled me into 7,000 pounds. So I actually, I won by submitting myself to this person. In your future marriage, if you are willing to take second place, I guarantee you, you will win. Okay? John Legend. Okay? We played this song at the Shady Hawkins dance, and that was the clump. Because all of me loves all of you. Love your curves and all your edges. I knew I shouldn't have read all of it. All your perfect imperfections. Give your all to me. I'll give my all to you. You're my end and my beginning. Even when I lose, I'm winning, right? I know it sounds cheesy. Literally, John Legend, I don't know anything about John Legend, all right? Besides, he's amazing. Um, he's really on to something that in your marriage, if you will choose to lose, you will win. How does that adjust your expectations? What does that do for your fears? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you that you chose um, to be a servant for us. And Lord, we cannot do that on our own. Everything in us just wants to steal. But Lord, you've been kind. You've shown the way to us. Not only have you modeled it to us, Jesus, you have made this possible for us. Lord, help us, whether we're single 
or Mary, Lord, to submit ourselves to you and to others for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.